0: Welcome, Nick has just dived into the podcast head first. How are you feeling?
1: How am I feeling? Uh, is that a genuine question or is it just a social greeting?
0: No, it's a genuine question and you, yeah, it's a very genuine question.
1: Okay, well, thank you. I'll give, give you a genuine answer. I'm feeling um, honoured to be invited on the show and excited about the next however long we're going to be spending with you. And in general, I'm feeling a deep sense of gratitude that there's a lot of people starting to reach out um, and ask for help, especially during COVID and with what everyone's experiencing. So, yeah, I'm feeling very fortunate.
0: It's a, your, your, your general is a lot deeper than what other people's general answer would be. <laughs> okay. the <laughs> well, general answer would be good.
1: Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like if it yeah. was a genuine, genuine question, if you're genuinely interested in how I'm feeling, I'm going to give you a genuine response.
0: That's good. I, I appreciate that. Uh, and I appreciate everything you do. Uh, and in saying what you said, it's it's really great to hear and I guess to give the listeners a bit of a rundown of how we know each other. Uh, I reached out to you roughly around this. Um, May 2020, mm-hmm. after I was on your podcast, Work Blokes podcast, so will give that an early shout-out.
1: Oh, shout-out to the Workblokes! Blokes. Whoa.
0: Yeah, so you and Ryan. So I'd done some therapy with Ryan, and then um, he'd, he'd got me on the straight and narrow to a degree. Uh, then I reached out to you and signed up to a discovery session, a uh, six-week program, and realized I still needed quite a bit more development. An education, and did the twelve week, and then realised I probably needed a twelve month program. I was chatting to a client about that yesterday. She she referred a friend,
1: and the friend reached out and said, "Oh, thanks for, thanks for yeah, putting me in touch with Nick at a discovery session. It was great." And she, my client's like, "Oh, which program did you choose?" And we don't do the six week anymore, um, but she said, "Ah, oh, yeah, no, I'm fucked. I need the twelve months." <laughs> and she said, which one did you do? And my client said, Well, I started in six weeks, then I went to twelve week, and then I realised, yeah, I'm pretty fucked too. So I <laughs> need twelve months.
0: So <laughs> yeah, so, and yeah, so from there I did some admin, some training with you and um for you know, still doing some admin stuff, but I think being behind the scenes I really got to develop myself a lot more than what I thought I would. I thought I'd really develop myself as a practitioner, um, but I think I'd really develop myself as a person more than anything. Um, so I think when people come to you a lot of the time, they, they, want, they think they want something, but they get something completely different, and that was definitely the outcome for me. Is that what you sort of experience?
1: All the time. Uh, and, and an example of that was you know, how we've got the clients butcher's paper we've got the client wall where clients write down you know their experience and just leave a little comment and i read one yesterday that said uh, i came to MindFit initially for to get help on working on my relationships with people um uh which which i've achieved but more so i've worked on my relationship with myself and she goes that's been the the biggest surprise but the biggest reward as well
0: well and i will say this so the listeners Uh, get to get an understanding of where I'm at because of what you do and it's I live in the moment a lot more I'm very content with basically everything day to day rather than um, searching for external happiness and I think a lot of people have reached out to me lately who keep trying to achieve try and reach that external happiness and um, i in hindsight, being able to look back and say that was what I was doing quite a lot of the time, I kept searching for something to make me happy. And in searching for that, you never reach it. It's, a, it's an unattainable well, the, the,
1: goal. The, the definition of happiness is to be content. So if people are still searching for something, that means they'd, they're in a state of discontentedness. So yeah, we talk to clients, there's two types of happiness. There's getting what I want happy and and sort of inherent or unreasonably happy um and when i ask a client how their week's been and they say good and after they've done their 10 push-ups they um <laughs> i say okay so what, why has your week been good is it because everything's gone your way and people have been nice to you and it's been smooth sailing or has it been a good week because you know there's been adversity or challenges or whatever but you've really sort of managed it all and yourself well and they sit there and think of it, and go, oh, no, yeah, I've actually managed myself well. You know, life's not perfect. I don't live in utopia, but I've actually been present, as you said, and been in the moment where I can make decisions and choices that are required. And, um, so that's where that, that feeling of empowerment comes from is, is sort of being more in the driver's seat.
0: So the listeners, Nick is a qualified therapist, um, working at Mindfits in the mornington peninsula in mornington uh you also work with clients online uh, so you are accessible to anyone who needs help with anything from mental health to relationships to healing work to basically anything anything to do with the mind
1: well yes and no it's it's um Well, the whole purpose is to help people to have an emotional response that's in proportion to what they're experiencing. So a healthy emotional response, you know, if you stub your toe and you go fuck and then stupid table, and then you throw the dog out the window and burn the house down. That's not quite an an appropriate emotional response to have. So um, helping people to be less triggered, helping. People are more calm and composed within themselves, helping them to be less reactive to everything that's going on, to be not so affected by everything that's going on. So when you're a better you, you're a better mum, dad, wife, husband, son, daughter, colleague, boss, whatever the case may be. So yeah, we're really just trying to. Uh, when you change, your relationships change. So so you know we don't do couples counselling or any of that. We just work on the individual, and when they get healthier. Within themselves and uh, in a better relationship with themselves, and sort of it has a flowing effect through their life. So, yeah, I'm a qualified psychotherapist uh, with that lived experience, though. So I've been through what my clients have are experiencing, which um, yeah, it gives me a, a gives me a different way of being able to work with people, I suppose.
0: And so it's lived experience. That I wanted to touched on touch on next um and I don't want to delve too much into it with you per se as what a normal podcast I do to record because I think your value is um in how you use that experience to now help people so I guess what how did you decide that you wanted to work in this field what was the sort of catalyst for you working in this field and And even go back further, if you like, to where it all started for you.
1: Yeah, interesting question. Because I don't ever feel that I chose to work in in this field. I was sort of just, I don't know, guided or led. I just saw the signpost. So, yeah, obviously, um, lots of childhood stuff. Moved around a lot. Um, My biological dad, you know, um, was rather unwell with mental illness issues and, and the byproducts that affected that. Um and then yeah, sort of joined the army um when I was well, as soon as I could. Uh had my best friend pass away. He's sort of what got me into the army. Um he was a bit of a role model, so lost lost him along the way. Um and yeah then i went through a few experiences in the army where i was medically discharged and came out um, with mental and physical health issues Uh, wasn't linked into any services to help recover from those things at the time so i spent eight years sliding down hit rock bottom ended up with agoraphobia so i couldn't leave the house Um, so you know and and phobia the definition of phobia is to have an irrational Beliefs to create irrational behaviour. Um, so I was just I was terrified of going outside, and so it was my mind disabling my body. Um, and, you know, and it, it, was, it was protecting me. So it was coming from a good place. It just wasn't helping me in the long run. Um, so yeah, uh, hitting rock bottom there, um, suicidal. You know, just frustrated, just stuck, just in, in deep depression and severe anxiety. Um, And sort of in that moment where I couldn't open the door, realized how powerful my mind was, and it was capable of preventing a fully grown adult male from literally turning a door up and opening a door and, and stepping outside. So I thought, if it's capable of that, in that way, what's it capable of, if I put some time and energy into it and start training it. Um, and so, yeah, spent a year sort of deconstructing and then reconstructing the way I operate. And, and so myself, my foundation, whatever you want to call it, um, got healthy again, uh, went and studied and yeah, opened up um, a business, which is called MindFit, uh, um, was called State of Mind. And I was just sort of working as a counsellor and just you know, doing um, helping people out of their suffering. But I realized after about six or seven years, I, I wasn't actually giving them any tools or anything. I was just, they'll come in and say, oh, you know, someone's just broken up with me. I've lost my job. And they'd be like, okay, we helping them to process events, but we weren't giving them tools to, to handle, um, you know, adversity when it pops up again in the future. Yep. So yeah, rebranded, changed to MindFit. And now we're, we're really focused on, psychoeducation. So psyche being the mind. So educating the mind, Um, increasing emotional intelligence, uh, empowering people. So working more proactively. Uh, We have a lot of clients that come in as we all do with our baggage and our stuff. So, you know, if there's been trauma or whatever, we do some healing work, but um, yeah, a lot of the the processes is based on yeah, giving, equipping people, I suppose. So there's never really a, uh, oh, desire, like I want to be a therapist. You know, I, I, if you'd have told me 12 years ago that I would have been doing this, I would have laughed and probably punched you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I just had no concept of it. It just wasn't even on my radar. Um, I was actually working in disability, helping people with disabilities to find a job. And I was reading the paper and I just read about something called hypnotherapy. I was like, uh, to stop smoking. And I was a smoker at the time. And I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. And, and some sort of these different signposts along the way. So something in my head said, reach out and talk to this person. And I did. And they basically wanted a lot of money for to teach me something that wasn't giving me a, an accredited qualification or anything. So, but it piqued my interest. So I kept going and searching and found an accredited um, clinical hypnotherapy and counseling um course to do and spent a couple of years doing that and uh yeah during that process i did a lot of healing and and growing internally within myself and and coming into contact with all this stuff um put me in a position where i could then go all right well if i was still stuck this is what i this is how i'd use this so that lived experience really was equally as important as the as the studying and training
0: one of the things that sort of popped in my head then was um, when you first started to, when you could, literally couldn't open the door, mm. and you you said, and I've heard you say it before, you had this slim, I guess, moment where you just go, I've got it, I can get through the door, and you just went through the door,
1: you know. Yeah, it was like a, a gap in, like the sun shone through, and there was a gap in the clouds that so was all. It was just a moment of clarity. So you know, in our work, we talk about distortions and spaghetti brain and how the mind gets very bent out of shape. So my mind was operating in a way that was heavily distorted, heavily bent out of shape. Um, so I couldn't see straight. And I couldn't think clearly I was, I was deeply irrational at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and when I had that moment, it was like a moment of clarity. We call it waffle brain, very technical and, and mind fit.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: I had that moment of clarity, and I was like, oh, my God. And so that moment of clarity probably, as I say, literally saved my life, because then I, I shot through the gap um, while whilst it was open. And I went to a doctor and said, this is what's going on. He linked me in. It was a local therapist. Um, And she sort of, she was CBT based so cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, which is sort of founded in Buddhism and Stoicism, um, which was really, you know, when I came into contact with that stuff, the philosophies of those two things that really resonated and made sense to me, because it's just logic, basically. Um, And yeah, so, so after working with her and, and she was funny, she said, she didn't really have to do much. She said, she just recognized that I just needed a space to, to break down and then rebuild. I did a lot of the work myself. Um, she just sort of gave me this, gave me that. And yeah, so from there, here we are. So it was yeah, going from a decade ago or just over a decade ago, I couldn't leave my house to now, you know, working at a health resort in Thailand and opening up the business and doing what we're doing now. It's it's been a long journey.
0: It's, it's been a satisfying journey, I'm sure, especially looking back. And I know you're not the type who looks back too much and delves back into the, the story as such. But I do want to ask, what do you, did you think it was going to take you sort of that 12 months to actually rebuild yourself? Or you, like a lot of us, think, oh, we'll just do six weeks of counselling and sort of, you know, be right? Or was it, do you remember that process for you? uh
1: i just remember i've if i if i don't do this um i don't stand a chance so i surrendered to the process and i went this is going to take however long it needs to take i didn't have a time frame in mind i didn't think oh, i'm just gonna t-. i just kept turning up and one day i went yeah i don't i don't need this anymore um and that, that just happened to be around the twelve month mark. So when I was designing the programs for MindFit, you know, we, we it takes on average about three months, twelve weeks to change a neurological pathway. So we created a twelve week program, but we also offered a twelve month program because uh, people have a lot of conditioning they need to undo as well and a lot of pathways to change. So um, yeah, for me it was it was never a matter of time, it was just a matter of necessity, I suppose what
0: what do you find for your clients now coming in is the the number one problem for them to sort of commit to anything long term and how do you find you know it's really what what do you sort of how do you guide them into understanding that because and I know this from working with you and and like in personal and professional is no one regrets signing up for the 12-month program with you like it's just it's a state of stone so it's a fact that it's beneficial for a lot of people like how do you go about getting them through that period where they are scared um and anxious to to do this and this isn't going to help people just help people that want to sign up to your programs but anyone looking at going into counselling or therapy of anything?
1: A uh, Couple of things, We're, we've developed this quick fix mentality, instant gratification as a society. So people are expecting a magic wand or just to turn up and for a therapist to go Psh, abracadabra, you are now fixed and healed and all that sort of stuff where it's just, that's just not realistic um I, i'm not sure the mental health industry has helped itself either where you know typical psychologists just turn up for a session after session after session and there's no real start or end date so one of the the things the, the feedback from clients has been having a start and an end date has been really helpful you know in the first session we talk about the mind fit motto, discomfort, precedes success. And we get the client to unpack what is success in terms of this in 12 weeks or 12 months, what's that version of you going to be able to do that this version can't. And so giving them that goalpost and that clarity to focus on and to move towards is very beneficial, but you're right. You, you yeah, a lot of people, it's the unknown. Um, I've come, from a generation of wonderful, amazing people but um, who have had sort of an aversion to, to getting help there, there's been this stigma around mental health and then it's suicide, depression and all this terrible bipolar stuff. What, what they've actually been looking at is, is mental health issues or mental illness. they have been looking at mental health per se. Um, so we've been doing a lot of educating around what is mental health and, you know, if, if you're training, the body to get it strong and healthy and resistant um, to disease and illness, we're going to do the same with the mind. So, you know, people are sort of really starting to understand it now. So, I don't know, I guess a combination of educating people uh, this is what we do, this is why we're doing it, uh, this is why it's important to do it. Can't just expect to be happy and walk around with a really irrational belief system with all these attachments to I must get what I want and everything. Um, but we also need to be very gentle with some people and, and, and you know, reassure them that what they're doing is okay. And so people, I guess, people, clients who do the, the best in the programs are the ones that fully surrender to it and just go, fuck it, clearly I've got no idea what I'm doing because I'm always frustrated, I'm always angry, I'm always this, I'm always that. So whatever I'm doing isn't working for me, I'm just going to let go, trust this bloke, trust the process, trust the program, and they pop out the end of it yeah, in a lot better shape. So, um, yeah, I think they just feel the changes. So they, I don't, re- they know that it's working for them. So that's why they want to continue in it. They're, they're noticing things are improving um, in their life. So because they're improving within themselves. So, yeah, I think that rapport is really important. Having that, that sense of trust um, and, and showing them that how we're going to get them from point A to point B uh, and then saying look we just need time to do it we, it's not a quick fix we don't have the magic wand that's, that's just we need time
0: I'm probably going to throw random questions at you at random points they might not sort of be aligned in, in a straight direction we might sort of right. go over the place um, awesome. but and now I've saying that I've actually forgotten the question that I actually wanted to ask so I'll ask another one what do you find is the number one problem at the moment with people coming in to see you?
1: Um, and I
0: only ask that because this we, we know for a fact that when people are coming in with problems, there's probably 10 times that sitting out there not getting help for these problems. But the people
1: that are coming in saying this is my problem, that's not actually the problem, it's the symptom. So what I see the root cause problem is very different to what the person is feeling. So I have to validate, okay, I understand that's problematic for you, but it's not the problem. It's just the symptom. So, uh, I oh know, I mean, we're in COVID, we're in lockdown 84.6 or something. So, um, I think what it's, what it's really doing is it's identifying people are in one of two camps um and we've, we've had it so good for so long you know we haven't grown up in a worn, torn country we haven't grown up you know with uh, constant natural disasters we've had some bushfires and some this and some that but but really we've had it we've been blessed and i think the lack of adversity has softened us you know if, if you stop training physically the muscles are going to soften it's just natural You know, so when the mind doesn't meet resistance it's going to soften too and i'm not saying we are soft um in that toxic masculine way it's just it's just we have become conditioned to to not having to reach deep down and and to self-manage so i think the two camps i'm speaking about people are either really flexible in their thinking and, and they can adapt and they can let go. And they can be positive and constructive in their thinking and solution oriented. And they have this sort of, I can mentality or people are in this really fixed rigid. It shouldn't be this way. You can hear how attached they are. I'm not going to let go of this. It's fucked. it's destructive. It's problem oriented. it's, it's, I can't believe this is happening. So, Obviously, the people who are being more constructive in their thinking are moving on and evolving and adapting and changing and growing and learning, and they're going to come out of this really much better than they went into it. Um, but the people in the, the destructive camp, they're just encountering all sorts of issues.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I'm what I'm seeing is a lot of people are setting themselves up with a lot of, a lot of expectations around a very... A world where nothing is guaranteed at the best of times, let alone through a pandemic. Is that what you're finding mm-hmm. that people are coming in, sort of setting themselves goals, and because they, you know, they're setting themselves goals where they, they literally may not be possible because of the.
1: They're, they're probably creating more expectations than goals, and there's a big difference between an expectation and a goal. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We talk about everything's impermanent. Nothing, nothing's guaranteed. The future doesn't actually exist. So I had a client the other day say, Oh, I've lost two jobs. I'm like, oh, where did you lose them? He's like, what do you mean? I said, "Well, you lost two jobs. I lost two jobs. You know, were they your jobs to begin with? Oh no, I was applying for them. Okay. So they weren't actually yours and, and you didn't actually lose them because it doesn't exist yet. So, you know, just that very small insight into how his mind was working. Um, you know, showed how he was operating on a lot of different levels. Um, so yeah, people are coming in with attachments and, and and this is very real for people. This is, I I don't want to devalue the suffering that's out there and what people are experiencing. But if you look at it on a spectrum, we are sort of over here and you know, there's a lot of news and and images of what's happening in Afghanistan right now. So maybe they're at the other end of the spectrum, you know, their needs are being severely compromised, but a lot of them are conditioned. Now that that country's been in war for 42 years. So they've been conditioned, they've grown up in that. Um, We're being conditioned in this lovely, nice society where we can go out and do what we want. We have these liberties and freedoms. So both you know australia and afghanistan the needs have been compromised to some degree um so it's very real for the people that are in it but when you step out and look at it objectively and we we look at it and go all right we're complaining that we can't go out for dinner with friends all right we're we're actually okay we're (laughs) actually we're actually all right so people being quite triggered and caught, you know, that what's triggering them is, is the, that irrational thinking that it's not fair. I should be able to go out with family and friends take everyone's taking it personally, where the government's not going, right, Sue and Dave Smith, I'm going to lock you down for eight weeks because, you know, we just don't like you. It's 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 just not true. It's, they actually have our best interests at in heart, you know, and when they lock us down, they're locking themselves down too. the government. So they're not off having, you know, soirees and parties and, Doing anything really different to what we're doing. So the biggest thing is people are are being quite irrational. They're being triggered, uh, and they're being very reactive. And in doing so, it creates a lot of anger and a lot of frustration. And I get why it's there, but a lot of it doesn't need to be there.
0: And before, I guess, the global pandemic, you know, people were coming in to see you. With the the root cause issues the same yeah totally
1: yeah it's just it's just uh the stimulus has changed and it's a much bigger source of stimulus you know they're not getting what they want and they can't do what they want and um, but you can hear the distortions that are out there you know it's not fair i can't believe this is happening to me or to us or you know and and, and while that's, Understandable on one level, it's not healthy thinking. It's not constructive. They're not looking after their mental health and well-being by thinking in that way. So, you know, everything has a pro and a con to it. The con to to being in lockdown constantly is a lot of people are suffering. Um, people's lives are being very affected by this. The pro to lockdown is that it's an opportunity for us to learn and to do some self-reflection and to go right well how am i being affected by this how am i how am i moving through this experience okay not too well maybe it's an opportunity now for me to go and do something about this so i do come out of this a better person
0: it's and i remember last year i don't even remember what i said but you had a knack of picking me up on what I was saying um, when it was distorted. And uh, I thank you very much for that, despite how <laughs> uncomfortable it was at the time. Um, and I remember you saying what you're going through and probably what a lot of people are going through is because the five basic needs of a human being are being severely, you know, hampered right now out of no sort of fault of anyone. And that enable it, that, that's creating a lot of fear right now
1: uh yeah i love the expression that life is problems and living is problem solving so if we can go into an acceptance that life's not going to be considered perfect everything is not going to go our way all the time we are going to have challenges difficulties uh, obstacles to overcome that's part and parcel of being a human being um and and as such, we all, as human beings, we all do have these basic human needs. You know, we need to feel a sense of empowerment. So have a think about lockdown and go through these needs with being disempowered. We need a sense of belonging. That's been compromised because we can't visit the family and friends. Um, we, we need a sense of freedom that we can make choices. That's not happening. We need to be fun. It's not fun staring at the same four walls day after day. Um, and a sense of survival, know that everything is going to be okay. When those when those needs are compromised, it creates fear, and fear is anxiety, and anxiety is panic, and then people, you know, get into this controllingness, and it tightens them up, and it really affects them. So, COVID, everyone's needs are being compromised. Afghanistan, their needs are being compromised. I can't imagine it's much fun handing your baby over across a wall. A sense of survival, you know. So, if we're looking at it, at that spectrum again, instead of black and white, the needs are being compromised just to different degrees. Okay, so when we look at how our needs have been compromised, we can, we can still do a check and arms, legs, yep, still got all the family members here. We're not under attack, you know, um, from planes and bombs and guns and all sorts of stuff. So we're actually okay. And this is where we need to step up as individuals, and we'll start looking after our own needs when they're compromising. Going, you know what? I am actually okay. We are all okay. It's not ideal. No one's asking for this. No one wants it. It's inconvenient, um, but we're actually good. And so, when we step into that space, we can actually start thinking outside the square. You know, a lot of parents are struggling with um, homeschooling at the moment, and when the parents are in survival mode they're in no position to then help the kids now there's a lot of kids out there self-harming and everything because they're in so much pain but the parents aren't in a position where they can assist the kids because they're in survival mode their needs uh, aren't being met by themselves so in working with the parents and getting them stable and present and mindful and emotionally healthy and whatnot then all of a sudden they're are in a position to look at the kids and go, all right, what, what, which of your needs are being compromised. And a lot of the kids are, are missing their friends, uh, and sport is a big one. So are like, right, what can we do? Let's go back into that construction, constructive thinking. We, we can't do a lot. Our worlds have shrunk. Yeah, But what but what can we do within this world that we still have? All right, so we're, we're getting parents to go home and organise the silly Olympics. You know, it's, uh, every family member pick a couple of sports who can jump off the couch the furthest. You know, we've got to get creative. And, and so, you know, if the kids are missing sport, let's create some sports at home that they can do if they're missing their friends, right? Every Friday at 3.30, we're gonna do a big Zoom catch up and, you know, let's let's all have a online Zoom thing. It's not ideal, it's not what it was, but it's better than nothing. So once again, parents can't help their kids unless they're okay.
0: Very, very true to home as well that, because obviously we have the little one uh This year, and having a baby scream at three am in the morning and getting frustrated makes the situation a lot harder to actually manage. Um, like if your baby's screaming, my baby rider is screaming, and I'm getting frustrated. When that happens, usually his pants get flicked off, and it creates more problems. And then he starts to vomit and then you get frustrated again. And I'm not saying I do that. I'm saying this is an example of what can happen. Um, I'm definitely not a rational ever anymore. No, I am. Um, <laughs> I'm,
1: glad, I'm glad I'm talking to an enlightened being. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Well, you created this enlightened being. So, <laughs> no, it's and it's, yeah, like, a, a, and I'm why I'm bringing this up is because I think it's important for people to know that I'm now able, I'm put, I've put myself in a position where I can actually see where I'm getting frustrated and see how rational it is. So I can then, and it's, as you speak about, it's um, the five steps to change, you know, awareness and acceptance. Like I'm now aware of what's happening and I can accept it. So I can, therefore I can change my frustration. I don't need to be frustrated because I can see that this baby is meant to be irrational. That's, what a babies essentially is they are completely it's, irrational. It's,
1: it's it's not in control of anything. Yes, exactly. Uh, when the parents frustration, this is this is this is what we call the unnecessary suffering. When a person gets frustrated, that when a dog runs off or you know, when a child starts screaming, it's it's their natures. And so, what you're doing is you're aware, you're becoming aware of your attachment to the belief that that child should be perfect. And mo- and your idea of perfect and these tiny little parameters that you're going to set for this child is it's not allowed to cry. It has to go to sleep at a certain time. It has to feed a certain time. It, it needs to make my life easier. And so when we put, we impose these expectations on, on this tiny little creature, who's got absolutely no idea that these conditions have been imposed upon it uh, or is in no way able to meet those conditions either um then you get frustrated when um when it doesn't meet those needs so or those expectations so it's great that you're learning to let go and able to stop being so irrational
0: laugh and i would say that it's kind of off topic but it's on topic as well like when alicia now I can see Alicia getting really frustrated because she's crying and won't feed properly, and I just point out to her that he's a baby and he's irrational. And then she just, she just, I couldn't do that 12 months ago to her, but now she'll just laugh and she'll be like, yeah, you're right, and she'll laugh. And it just alleviates all of her anxiety and stress, which means she can focus on his needs rather than what she's, she needs.
1: Well, by you being present, you're in a position to then help her. You can give to your relationship with her and the writer. So all you're doing there is just helping her to shift into the reality of what is instead of the reality of what she thinks should happen, could ideally happen or would potentially happen. So staying in the reality of what is a lot of the work we're doing, as I said earlier, is, is helping people to have a healthy emotional response to whatever's going on, a child crying when it's hungry. Is a healthy emotional response.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: If you said, stop crying, suppress your emotions, sp- stop trying to communicate. Um, it's, it's you can just hear how irrational that adult is being, you know, we, we talk to a, a lot of parents struggle with their kids at the supermarket and you've got this ahead of you in a couple of years time <laughs> where, um, you know, it's, it's like five o'clock and you do a, a run to the supermarket for something. And the kid goes, oh, yeah, mummy or daddy can I have this lolly. And the parent goes, no, no, it's nearly dinner time. And you can see when that five-year-old just snaps and they're like, I'm not getting one. You don't love me anymore. My life's the worst. And it has a tantrum. And the, you can see the moment the parent reverts down to that child level and becomes emotionally immature because it goes, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Oh, you're embarrassing me. And the parent makes it all about them. You know, oh, everyone's looking at us and laughing at us and judging me as a bad parent, where the fact is it's got nothing to do with you, the parent. You need to remain calm and reassure this child that they're okay and and understand that it's not outside the realms of possibility or probability that this child is going to have a meltdown when it doesn't get what it wants. It's a highly irrational being. It's its sole purpose is to be rational. If that child went, Five o'clock, shit, the day, got a, the day really got away from me, mum. Thank you so much for having my best interest at heart. I had no idea. Yep, lolly down. Let's jump in the car. Let's go home and have that dinner. I don't need this, lolly. That would not be a healthy emotional response for a child to have.
0: His baby of be enlightened being, to be honest. <laughs> That's true. Yes, baby Buddha.
1: Baby Buddha <laughs> is, um, is, 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 is spotted at
0: Coles. <laughs> baby floating through the air Mm. um so if i if i was going through some suffering if i was if i was really depressed or suicidal um and i walked into your office what are the the key key things you look for to work with someone and what are the the key things that you know you try and help them see from you? Uh,
1: first thing I do is just validate whatever they're feeling. You know, it's so important to not telling them they should be feeling anything other than what they are feeling. They're doing the very best they can with what they've got, you know, in that moment. So validating it, um, I think being vulnerable myself, you know, that's where that lived experience comes in. I can, I can share some of my stuff where your typical clinical psychology, they sort of say, you know, don't give any of your own information away. And, you know, um, uh, I was reading a, a quote from Carl Jung the other day, uh, and he said, you know, know all the theories, master all the, um, the philosophies and everything, but when you touch another human soul, just be a human soul. And so, really, just trying to be two humans in the room is important for me. Uh, if a client needs a hug, I will give that person a hug. You know, where a lot of other therapists would be like, "No, not let to touch clients," and no, oh, you're going to get sued," and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's understandable why the person is in. They're stuck in their emotions. They're very deeply affected by what's going on but they don't know that their mind is creating this for them so the probably the biggest feedback we get from clients after a discovery session is that they love having it mapped out for them on the whiteboard and this is where the the educational element comes in uh, to be very effective they love seeing where they are what the root cause of why they are is there and how we're going to get them out of it Um, so you know, there's those three keys to, to a positive outcome in this sort of work. And it's that rapport, that hope and that change. So I had a client the other day, that, that one that signed up for the 12 month program and I said, how how were you after last session? She said, yeah, it felt great. It all made sense. Um, the biggest thing for me was I felt heard and I was like, beautiful. What a, what a <laughs> wonderful, what a wonderful piece of feedback. Thank you. So that rapport was there. she felt heard and and why she came to me She was a paraplegic and she said finally i found someone who who may understand what you know to some degree what i'm going through mm-hmm. because of my my knee injury from the army and i can't run anymore and whatever so instantly we had that rapport listening to the woke blokes podcast you know she she listens to how i come at things from and it resonated with her so you know me being a bit vulnerable um building that rapport um, guiding her saying, this is where you are. This is where we can get you to, but this is what needs to happen in between here and there. Um, you know, shining a light on all that, not just sitting there telling her to go back into her story constantly. Um, which I know you've had to do and I've had to do in the past as well. And wasn't really that helpful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so if someone's coming in, you know, severely depressed, suicidal or whatever, I just, uh, I just touch their soul. Really. I just try and connect with them and, and reassure them that it's okay. I've been there, but I, I've come out the other side of it. I know what to do, but more importantly, I know what not to do. Um, so we just, we just need time and just slow, incremental, gentle change. We don't want to wave that magic wand and give them a quick fix. It's funny how many Clients are, are in such suffering, and when they see it unpacked on the whiteboard, and they go, "Oh my god, that's what I can achieve!" All of a sudden, they become very desperate for it, and they want to <laughs> rush into it. Yeah. <laughs> and, a lot, and a lot of the time, I have to rein people back and go, "Whoa, whoa no, no, no! Don't try and do that yet. You got to learn to crawl before you can walk, and walk before you can run." You know, this is this is breaking someone down and rebuilding them. This is you know rehabilitation on a very deep emotional level sometimes.
0: If someone's listening and they're struggling, what's the advice you have for them based off your personal and professional experience? And I, and I, I say personal and professional, I know they're basically two in the same. Like,
1: yeah, just just um, reach out to someone who knows what they're doing. Stop complaining to all your friends. Stop asking your friends for advice or for help. They're not trained. It's not your happiness isn't their responsibility they're there to support you um, but reach out to someone professionally if that person doesn't feel right for you pick up the phone and try someone else you know it's, it's uncomfortable it, it can be really it's a big leap of faith you're being very vulnerable by asking for help um, but just keep going until you find a person that that makes sense that feels like a good fit you know if you are we talk to the trademark boys and we're saying that, you know, if you feel like a pizza, if you're hungry, you feel like a pizza, and you know, order a pizza and it's shit. You're not just going to go, I hate pizza. I'm going to give up on pizza forever. I'm never having pizza. Again, you're going to try the next pizza shop. So, you know, that's a bit of a, a metaphor where we can learn just to, you are responsible for your happiness. No one else. So anyone you connect with, they're, they're, they're meant to be, there to help you and assist you but they're not going to make you happy that's something you have to learn how to do yourself and when you do it you know i don't know what your experience has been like shane or i do but
0: um you do probably uh, more than anyone else
1: (laughs) to, to to that moment where it kicks in and you go i i am responsible for my happiness and i can learn i can do things that that feeling of empowerment um you know everything sort of starts fading away after that
0: it's funny you mentioned that because about since the fifth minute mark I've been like I'm waiting for him to bring up who's responsible for their own happiness because I think it's just so such an important part to the cog and it's one of the first things you do in the discovery session you get the client to understand that they are responsible for their own happiness and, and most of the time what they're doing is they're just completely outsourcing their own happiness and I guess a couple of the things you you do to bring that back to its, your responsibility is, quite, is done in quite a humorous way. So when you go out into the big wide world, and this is from personal experience and from speaking to a lot of your clients, is, is whenever they find themselves outsourcing that happiness, they laugh about it because they realise how irrational they're being and it just allows them to come back to who is responsible for my own happiness. I am. I'm outsourcing it and straight away you just get back on your path you, you 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 hop back on without a you know there's a little bump but it's not a, a super destructive
1: you don't go spiraling down
0: yeah so it's it's a, that's a really powerful tool and I hope if if the listeners get nothing more out of the, this podcast I hope it's that personally it's that they are responsible for their own happiness and I hope that once they stop listening to this they walk away and say from this moment on I am responsible for my happiness and health and the rest it doesn't just flow naturally. That that's that's unrealistic. <laughs> but but I hope it flows a little bit more for that person because it it, it allows us to feel really empowered um, moving forward.
1: Yeah. You spoke earlier, you know, about the five steps of the change that we use and and awareness and acceptance of the first two and the motivation to change is the third one. So really it's important to me. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Enough is enough. I've got to do something differently. Um, but then the the tools to change and the capacity to change is the, is the fourth and fifth key there. So, you know, we say people, you are responsible for for your happiness, but a lot of people just don't have the capacity to, to meet that responsibility or to fulfill that responsibility or that obligation to themselves. Because they haven't learned, they they've grown up. You know, just in this, I need X, Y, and Z to happen, and then I will feel okay. You know, if you're sitting there listening to this, what needs to happen in order for you to be happy? When when will you be content? When when will you have enough? When will you be enough? You know, and it really sort of shocks people because they go, oh, shit, yeah, I'm only happy when it's sunny and and when I have money in my bank account and when I have people who love me and when I have all this stuff and and all the the research into the happiness shows that those with the least are the happiest, you know, because they're living in gratitude. They're living in in that the connected community and, and they're sharing and they're giving and, and they're not living in that anxiety. there's parts of India where suicide doesn't even exist in their language. That's just, they can't comprehend how a person could take their own life. You know, you say, you know, someone killed themselves and they're like, who, yeah, but who killed them? No, they killed themselves. And it's like, what? It's it's too irrational for them to, to get their head around.
0: It is. it is highly rational having been in that mindset before
1: yeah but, but in that in that mindset as well you know you know I both know I think that most people and this is learned from people who have thankfully not been successful at taking their own lives um, people don't generally want to kill themselves they don't want to end their own lives they want to end the suffering they're experiencing. And they say, they see they don't want to extinguish their life force or their life flame or whatever you want to call it. They, they just, they see committing suicide as the only way to end that suffering. So for anyone who is listening and who is feeling very low, very stuck, very hopeless, very helpless, there is a way out of that suffering, but it takes you to reach out. No one's going to come and pull you out of this. No one's going to jump down into the hole and boost you out of it. You, you've got to find someone who can throw some tools and resources down to you and you're going to start climbing your way out of that hole. It's, it's a long, hard road in a lot of cases, but those that have the most to do have the most to gain. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where, you know, that we are responsible for our happiness comes from.
0: What what do you do personally to make sure that you look after your mental health? Because you know it's important, and probably put into con- context, a lot of psycho psychologists, psychotherapists, counsellors burn themselves out um, because they take on too much. They well, they don't... haven't
1: done the work themselves to begin with.
0: Yes, um, and there's a, there's a array of other things that go with that. How do you make sure that you keep on top of yourself? Because you, you've also practised what you preach, essentially.
1: What's mental health? I don't believe in mental health. Mental health. <laughs> um, I, I, well, I guess I've learned through experience. I've learned the hard way that you know, if you don't train and, and look after the body in terms of what you're doing to it and what you're putting into it, it's it's going to be unwell it's not going to function properly it's not going to be effective it's not going to get you from point A to point B properly so the mind really is no difference a lot of people sit there complaining and listening to the news and judging and being very active and then wondering why aren't I happy where it's not happiness is a byproduct it's not Something that we should try and be, you know, it's like losing weight. The hardest way to lose weight is by focusing on losing weight. If you focus on just eating good food and moving a bit more, then weight loss is a byproduct. Um, so, personally, I really I have to prioritize myself. I'm at the top. I know I've I've dropped down the priority list when I start feeling a bit more agitated. It happened a few weeks ago and I was like, oh, I just feel really out of source. And I sort of stepped out of it and self-checked and I was like, oh, I'm giving too much. I'm just giving, giving, giving. I'm meeting everyone else's needs. So all right, bit of me time. I'm putting up the do not disturb sign. I'm going for a walk and you know, out the bush. I'm going to play the drums. I'm going to feed my soul. I'm going to sit and just read this amazing book for the whole day. I'm going to take myself out on a date and cook myself an amazing meal. And I'm going to look after me. Um, and when you start prioritizing your mental and physical and nutritional health, nutrition for the mind and the body, um, then things just get so much easier. So, yeah, I, I, I I manage, I, I don't, you know, I've got so much work I can do. I could work 70 hours a week if I wanted to, but I, I, I put a healthy limit on the amount of clients I see per day and per week. Um, I, uh, yeah, meditation. I uh, and not only just sitting in stillness, but doing meditative activities. As I said like playing the drums or um, gardening, spending time in the garden, doing things with your hands. You know, just, just getting dirty, connecting, grounding, getting back to nature. Not just sitting there binging on Netflix and eating shit food and drinking. That's that's gonna make you feel fleetingly temporarily better per se but it's not going to help you in the long run so um yeah i just i just i just prioritize and, and do what is required to to feel good inherently good not not not, not uh, i not a lot of people are in suffering and so what they do is they're self-medicating which which feels good yeah so so they 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 will drink or eat to excess um to to change how they are feeling and so that will feel good i'm not talking about that feel good i'm talking about doing what is required to not get into that suffering in the first place
0: so and it's in in those moments where you're taking the hard path because quite often, some quite at, at the start of your journey and through the tough parts of your journey, you know, going for a walk instead of sitting on the couch watching your favorite TV show until three in the morning is quite—it's weird. You've got thirty-minute walk versus eight hours of TV. One takes thirty minutes; the other takes eight hours. But that—it's taken the hard path and doing those things creates an easier life.
1: Yeah, we we talk in, in the program about the hard path. And the easy path and the hard path gets easier and the easy path gets harder. Both paths have hard in them. So it's about choosing your hard. And do you, want, do you want a hard that gets harder and harder and harder? Or do you want a hard that, you know, makes life easier after a certain amount of time? So it's so easy to hit snooze and to not get out of bed because it's cold. and it's so easy to come up with all these excuses as to why you can't do something. And it's, it's so easy just to, you know, mindlessly, you know, binge six, seven, eight episodes of something. And it's so easy just to stay in our comfort zones. It's, it's so much harder to be present and mindful and conscious and to make a decision, not for this version of me, but for tomorrow's version of me, you know, what I do today is, you know, affect. Who and how i am tomorrow so you know we sort of pass this metaphoric button to the version of us that wakes up in the morning so how do i want to do i want to give him a bit of a leg up and make his life a bit easier and help him to feel a bit more empowered and healthy or um should i sit here and eat a bucket of kfc and watch eight hours of netflix and then just expect him to be happy like you know the math doesn't add up there
0: and the last question i want to ask you is because a lot of parents, the one they're the parents are the ones I probably get feedback from the most in the podcast, and they there's a lot of kids out there in suffering. I know we have touched on this throughout the podcast, but like, what's your advice to these parents who are who have got kids who are suicidal, depressed, giving up at school, um, and because because rightly so, like these kids are in an environment they've never been in, and they don't understand it, and it is you know, they don't have the, the knowledge or education to manage themselves, to be honest. Well, what's the advice you'd give to the parents?
1: Lead by example. The kids are going to be looking at the parents, everything the parents do. What am I meant to do in lockdown? If the parents are walking around getting frustrated and angry and do that, the kids are going to look subconsciously towards parents and how am I meant to act in this moment, in this situation when this happens? Oh, where's my role model? There you are. How are you acting? Oh, you're angry. You're drinking. You're throwing things. You're yelling. All right. Well, that's just what I'm going to do. First step is to, I had a client once come and say, bring the, the 10-year-old daughter in. She said, uh, I, want to, um, I want you to help her to lose weight. And I, right, okay. And I looked at the mum without judgment and I went, she seems like monkey seeing what monkey is doing. Yeah. The, 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 the mum wasn't in very good shape physically. And I said, look, to be honest with you, there's nothing I can really do for your daughter because whatever I do in here for an hour, she's going to go home to the same fridge, the same pantry, the same dinner portions, the same parents who are doing the same things, the same role models. It's going to be very, a waste of time and money. So I'm better off working with you and getting you in a position where you can then help your children. Uh, and she, she was like, I had a little bit offended a little bit hurt at first but um she finally saw the logic in what i was saying and she's like oh but i don't have time and i was like oh what a wonderful excuse uh, justify that to your daughter and i said would you rather have a mum who you get to spend 20 hours a week with but he's all angry and blah blah blah, or would you rather spend 15 hours a week with a mum who is going to the gym and being doing a bit of meditation 15 hours you know, and the mum just burst into tears and she's like, Oh my God, I I didn't realize what I was doing. So we can't help others unless we're okay. You can't be the best parents until you're the best version of you. So another client the other day was talking about his daughter having some eating issues. Um, she's 15 and you know, 15 year old girls are very vulnerable because, uh, a very important time for them. And if they're not surrounded by healthy people, they're going to be very affected to some degree. So I said to him, look, just as long as you say to her, we are here with you. We are, we trust you are going to get through this. We tr- You can trust that we're going to be here to support you. And then just really reassure her and say, you yeah, know, this is, um, this is life experience. And, and, and you're gonna learn and grow so much from this. It's not ideal. Nobody likes it when you're in it at the time. Nobody goes, Oh, this feels great. I, <laughs> I love being suicidal or depressed or whatever, but there is so much value when you come out of it the other side. So, you know, once again, it's it's cause and effect. Kids are irrational. Kids are going to be very emotional. Kids are going to be all over the place. If they can have a bit of stability in the parents, and just I'm here with you. You're going to be okay. We're going to work through this together. I'm okay, so I'm in a position where I can assist you. Then I don't know that just for me is is the uh, the healthiest, not the best, but the healthiest way to approach it. What are your thoughts on that, Mr. Kelton?
0: Oh, I I hundred percent agree. I think it's yeah, it's monkey see, monkey do, and kids are kids are so good at picking up energy um levels of what's around them and yeah if we're walking around stressed and angry even if we try and hide it from them they pick it up they see it you know I, I, I used to know people who um I spoke to a lot of people who were in domestic violence in my experiences and um, with kids around, and they're like, Oh, I don't, my kids don't see it, so it's okay. And I'm like, That's a load of crap. Kids sit in their rooms, they can hear things and they see things and they hide. And you, you might not think that they're there, but they're aware of it. And so kids kids know and they pick up things. And I think it's sponges. It, yeah. So it is, it's monkey see, monkey do. And anytime it's- I've had, yeah, with PT, anytime I've had people come in and, say I want to lose weight and stuff like that it's it's, as you said you know what's in the fridge and what's in the pantry and what's what's happening at home you know if that's the way if if it's filled with junk the kids will eat it yeah that's what kids if it's not there kids won't ask for it
1: (laughs) yeah you you, you asked me uh, you said earlier about you know you know that I I practice what I teach um and I I have a a personal philosophy that I can't ask anyone to do that, which I'm not willing or prepared to do myself. You know, I can't say to someone, go and do a 10 day silent meditation retreat if I haven't done that myself. And, and that creates a sense of accountability. So there uh, I'm being genuine and authentic there. There's no, I'm not being a fraud. I'm not saying do as I say, not as I do, you know, it's, it's, I can't honor the the process in working with someone, if, if I'm not sitting in a position of, um, substance, I suppose. Yeah. Um, parents need to do the same thing. You can't ask, you, you can't have it. You can't expect your kids to be happy. If you're not happy, you can't say you guys should be happy. If, if you're all over the place as a person, you can't say you need to be disciplined if you're not employing discipline within yourself. Uh, and so discipline is a funny thing just quickly because I thought the other day, discipline is what's required. We are what we repeatedly do. Yeah? So excellence or health or happiness, therefore as is a, is a habit, not an act. And and I thought about the word discipline the other day and, and how important it is to have this discipline to get up and to do things and to move and to create a routine and whatnot. But I think we have an unhealthy association with discipline because we are disciplined as children, you know, I'm going to discipline you. So we see discipline as a, as a, as a negative thing where discipline, the byproducts of being a disciplined person, are so beneficial, so healthy, so amazing. So yeah, just off topic a little bit there, change your association with discipline if you're struggling with it
0: it's quite yeah kind of off topic but i think it's so important it's kind of on topic as well because yeah we're not disciplining kids because they're doing the wrong thing it's to teach them essentially
1: well you, you want to set boundaries you uh, compassionately you want to understand their nature and, and work within their nature you know stop suppressing them stop telling them that they should you know when a parent is going through a supermarket hurry up you're a fucking adult you're, you're six foot tall your kid's two foot tall they don't have the legs that you have stop telling them to hurry up maybe you have to <laughs> drop back and go at their pace you know stop, stop making it about you and another thing that you mentioned before that just popped up then what is the biggest problem for people I think ego comes in and rules people's lives far too much and i know you've had a personal experience with that yourself shane but um <laughs> Yeah, the the only way you can help someone else if, is if you're doing what is required and integrity. You know, it's 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 what we do when no one else is looking. So, don't expect your kids to do everything that you're not doing yourself.
0: Yeah, I think it's, I think added on that is the not only the positive things. I mean, the positive. The, the pleasant things, but also show your kids your vulnerabilities as well. Like if, you're, if you are upset and it's in proportion with what's going on in the world, like I follow someone on Instagram who was a good friend and she, she pushed out a video because she has her own business and she's struggling and she's got kids and um, husband and her husband's thankfully working. And she opened up and just, she cried in front of her kids and the compassion that her kids showed to her, and they were able to learn that it's okay to cry and move through that. You know, she moved through it through it, and then became it became, I guess, it was a very healthy way to show emotion that the kids could understand they're allowed to cry and move on.
1: I hate it when someone says I have to be strong for my kids, and that means I can't break down. Like I can't show emotion. I can't express, you know, we use a lot of stoic philosophy and people have such a misconception about stoicism. I have to be stoic. I I need to be emotionless. And that's so, so much shit. It's just, you know, you, you, you're having a deep emotional experience, but it's just very quiet and internal. It's not loud and external. So, um, yeah, kudos to your friend who who's doing it, but something else popped up in the head earlier um, about the kids and, oh, empower them, you know, empower them, give them knowledge, give them tools to use adversity, teach them about adversity, teach them that the world is not perfect, teach them that there are going to be challenges, teach them that they're going to be tested, teach them that they've got so many lessons to make, teach them that whatever another kid says, says more about that kid than it says about your child, you know, teach them all these things. And if you don't have these tools, go and fucking get them for yourself. So then you can hand them down to your kids, pass down some healthy, emotional family heirlooms, instead of all the shitty heirlooms that getting handed down from parent to child.
0: That's all we have time for today on this chat with your role. We have time for today. Hi, <laughs> uh, thanks thanks for joining me, Nick. Um, there's lots to take out of it for those listening. Um, it's you know, it's what I've I fortunately was not able to have daily with you. So and I'm sure when you brought up the ego, I was like, geez, that feels like we could just roll on for another hour in this chat. <laughs> Um, maybe, so,
1: maybe, a, maybe another podcast
0: yeah mate we'll have to get you back on to talk about the ego and maybe even throw me my ego under the bus a few times in that <laughs> we can break down how i sort of yeah manage that and how we all manage our ego from time to time so yeah thanks for joining me today i'll share mind fit m y n d Fit in all the show notes and yeah people please feel free to reach out to nick if you are if you need some help um i'm sure he would answer the phone call well
1: thank you shane for all the work that you've done for yourself and for me and for my clients over the past 12 or so months and for your family and for for taking responsibility over your own happiness so it's great to see you emotionally self-sufficient standing on your own two feet with especially with all the the challenges you've had recently i think your credits to yourself and the work that you've done so bravo to you sir
0: thanks for making me nearly cry